everybody. Welcome, Welcome back. Welcome back. It is time for what I think is our 40th episode. Wow. Not counting episode zero. So, uh, and it's one of our special roundups. We're going to look at the last nine games that we played. Live a Live, Grandia, Breath of Fire 2, Final Fantasy V, Final Fantasy Adventure, Robotrek, Final Fantasy Legend 3, Dragon Quest 3, and Quest 64. Or, as it's known, the COVID period. Yeah, really. It really is. This is what we've done over the last year. And it feels like the COVID period of games, with maybe the except. Well, no, there were some good ones in there. So, uh, as normal, we have I have our list of tropes that I occasionally add to, and then we will talk best and worst and most interesting, and then we will, you know, stop talking, because the episode <laughs> will be over. Uh, <laughs> sorry, we're filming a lot of episodes yeah, today. Yeah, someday, someday I will stop talking, um, but it is not today. Do you want to start or shall I? You may always begin. Our first trope is one that was heavy early on and then has kind of stopped being a thing. Yeah. Where priests save your souls and your game. That only happened once in Breath of Fire 2, but there is an honorable mention in Dragon Quest 3 because in your hometown, a nun saves your game. True. And then thereafter, it's kings. Yeah. The breath of, Dragon Quest is actually interesting because Dragon Quest started with kings saving your game, and it was actually in Dragon Quest Four that it yeah. started being the priest. So they were kind of backwards on that from every other game. Yeah, this is, I guess, the transition period. Right, yeah. Um, so what is our next trope? So next trope that we look at is when you have the option to join the dark side. Um, and shockingly, shockingly, this time around, there are no real opportunities for you to do that. You're never actually tempted to the dark side. But there is one honorable mention that we have in Breath of Fire 2, um, where you can uh, choose to stop chasing the evil priest and uh, walk away from the final dungeon. This yeah. is another one of those where it happened a lot in the early games that we yeah. played, and then, like, we're not seeing it much. Yeah. It feels like people were like... We get it. We keep doing this over and over, and we've seen it, and it's not interesting anymore. Here's one that I think is going to still be around for a long time, but it didn't do so well in this one. Yeah. Ancient robots in a fantasy setting. Mm -hmm. Now, this trope doesn't have to be taken literally. This is uh, this is really about the idea that before the time that the story is set in, there was an ancient civilization that was much more advanced than us. Mm -hmm. Which is a trope that shows up a lot in these games, even though, uh, as I've discussed at one, in one vlog, or one side quest, is not something that happened on our in our reality. Right, yeah, exactly. We did not secretly... The Mayans were not using teleportation beams right. and personalized flying scooters. But it's fun to think that maybe they did. So in this batch, this happened once. In the Final Fantasy Adventure there what you get a robot companion from the ancient yes, past yeah. but there are a couple of honorable mentions grandia is all about a hyper advanced ancient civilization yeah, right which is the point even though you don't encounter any literal robots from right. the ancient past also robotrek which is you build robots in a fantasy setting right 
but the technology to do so came from another civilization on another planet in the ancient past. So it's kind of, it can see this trope from where it is, but yeah. it, it doesn't quite line up. Okay. But Russ has got a good one coming. Yeah, I really do. And this is, I mean, this is just, it's that the final boss has multiple forms. And this is just like what RPGs are. Yes. So, um, we have five in this category. We have Live a Live, we have Grandia, we have Final Fantasy V, Giant Tree, shout out. What, what? <laughs> All you dendrophiliacs out there. Final Fantasy Adventure and Final Fantasy Legend 3. Uh, now, I put in here an honorable mention for Robotrek. You do fight the final boss twice in different forms, but there's a save point yeah. and a bit of story in between. Yeah. So it's not like fighting the same, fighting a guy and then he goes, you have not seen my true form, and fighting him again. And I do. I, yes, that is true. Shockingly not Dragon Quest Three. Dragon Quest Three. I never thought about that. Actually does not have... Multiple forms. And yet, when I think boss. of this trope, Dragon Quest is weirdly oh, yeah, what I think Dragon of. because Dragon Quest 1 and 2 both have that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I picture Dragon Quest villains. You kick their ass, and then and they then, come back. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah. Uh, crazy. That is crazy. But you're right. Not Dragon Quest 3. So, our next one is the surprise boss. I'm not going to give the example I always give, because I'm sure I will again in the future. This is the idea of... You think you know who the big bad is all along, and then right near the end, there's a sudden bait and switch. Um, and the closer to the end, the better it is. The ideal surprise boss for this trope is like, oh, good, we've defeated the big bad. And then you turn around, and there's another monster there that goes, actually, I was in charge. Fight me. Like, that's what this trope <laughs> is. Dragon Quest Three had this. Boramos is the goal... For the entire game. He's the big bad. Well, your for, dad. For the first two thirds of the game. Well, yeah. Then you beat him. And then act three starts. Yeah. So it's not as close to that. Oh, surprise me. But it, it's the closest we got. It in this true. Yeah. Uh, honorable mention for Live a Live. Where you are the end boss. It's referenced throughout the whole game. But you don't actually understand what it means. Until right near the very end. Where it turns out you're the big bad. That was a big enough twist that uh, I'll, I'll let it count. Because yeah. you don't expect you to be the villain. Dishonorable mention, which I don't think I've ever done before, <laughs> was for Quest 64. You get hints who the fake end boss is a couple hours before you fight him. So when he turns out not to be the end boss, but it's some other guy referenced one time earlier in the game... It's not quite the same. Yeah. The, 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 there's too much time between the fake out and the reveal. The whole thing is kind of a mess. And while the identity of bosses isn't, is surprising, it's not due to plot twists, but it's due to the fact that there's not much plot to tell you what the hell's going on. It accidentally falls into this category because it wasn't written well. Yeah. Then we have the one of my just absolute all-time favorite tropes, the silent protagonist because you get so many words put in your mouth when you refuse to speak. Um, we had four examples of this this go-around. We had Final Fantasy Adventure, Breath of Fire 2, Robotrek, and, thank God, Quest 64. Honorable mention goes to <clears throat> Final Fantasy Legend 3, 
because the the mutants actually never have any voiced lines and uh sharon the female human doesn't speak after she joins your party pretty much all of the talking is just done by arthur and then oh so, <laughs> not <laughs> and then apparently dragon quest 3 doesn't count as having a silent protagonist because you main character will talk during his puff puff session now we didn't count chrono trigger because he talks <sighs> in one of the endings so i think that's a fair assessment sure yeah uh, just in case you haven't picked up on this, I keep track of all these tropes as I'm playing yeah. the game. Russ is seeing most of them for the first time, because unless you're actively taking these notes while you're playing them, th this is not the kind of thing you can remember easily, right. I wouldn't think. The Puff Puff session. The, the main character talks during the Puff Puff. The next one is a fight you're supposed to lose. These are narratively, you do not get a game over for losing the fight the story continues yeah. and you're really you can win these fights often and maybe get a little bonus or a little change of dialogue if you do but the expectation is for you to lose this fight and i always hate i hate these in games unless they're explicit you get into the fight and you get one hit killed immediately yeah fine i get that when you think you have a chance so right. you start burning precious items <laughs> exactly. i hate that but from a story standpoint, they can be very interesting. We had three of them. In Grandia, it was the fight against Gadwin mm -hmm. before he joined your party. Right. In Breath of Fire 2, it there were two of them, Barbary and Tiga. And then in Final Fantasy V, the succubus battle, when you're trapped on that island, and yes. you open a chest, and there's the succubus. Right. And also, I mean, there's another one in Final Fantasy V. Oh, that's right. When the bad thing happens <laughs> oh no the bad thing yeah um yeah galif is never intended to survive that's true in that game but it still fits it's just another example so there's actually two in there <clears throat> so now we have gambling mini games which i hate i don't like gambling i don't like gambling in real life not for any like moral reason or whatever but I just don't like a game that is all luck-based. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't usually play the gambling mini-games in other video games. But you know who does love it? Probably is Yuji Horii. Because Dragon Quest always has one. <laughs> uh, so we have Dragon Quest 3 uh, has its casino and monster arena. And the board and, game. Yeah, well, the board game is Game Boy Color. Uh, well, that's the one I played. Yes, I know, but yes. Um, and then Breath of Fire 2 um, also has it as well. But that's Dragon Quest Casino. Now, the Breath of Fire 2 one's actually hidden. Remember, yeah. Breath of Fire 2 has that where you can build your, you own, build your own town. town. Yeah. One of the many recruitable characters will bring an Othello-style game to your town if you pick him. Yeah. So the mini game is really hidden. Yeah, it's true. Not in Dragon Quest though. In Dragon Quest, they almost force you to do it. Yep, in a lot of the game. Big casinos. The next trope is the one I think we're never gonna get rid of. Oh, never ever. Like I mean, like I said before, dads, dads, dads. Stop relying on your teenagers to save you. Seven out of the nine games that we played mm -hmm. fall into this trope. And one of them is an honorable mention. And an eighth <laughs> one is an honorable mention. Only teenagers can save the world. Many of the protagonists in Live a Live are teenagers. Yes. Final Fantasy Adventure. My research tells me that the hero is described as mid-teens. Yeah, he's a teenager, definitely. 
Here's the thing. I actually have to do research for this one because ages aren't always explicitly spelled out right, in games. Right. So I have to do some research to see what I can find. Grandia, Justin is 14. Yeah. In Breath of Fire 2, Ryu is 16. In Robotrek, I could find no information about his age, but I would be surprised if he was older than 13. Yeah, he's probably about 13. Final Fantasy Legend 3, the ages are, are unknown, but it's pretty clear they're all teenagers. I mean, they came back to the past as kids, and then they were probably 5 or 6 then, and then it's probably been about 10 years since that happened. Dragon Quest 3, the quest begins on the hero's 16th birthday. And what a way. What a sweet 16. Yeah. Happy birthday. Sweet 16. Happy birthday. Go save the world. Yeah, you have to go save the world. And then a dishonorable mention for Quest 64, which can only get dishonorable mentions, it seems. <laughs> I, I am pretty sure Brian is between 8 and 10 years old. I don't yeah. think he's a teenager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he doesn't quite fit the trope, but as you would expect of Quest 64, somehow it is worse than the trope. It's worse. Definitely don't don't rely on an eight-year-old to save the world. Not a good idea. So uh, now we get into where we're going to talk a little bit more about what we played here. We're going to start with the worst character from this batch of nine games. Uh, and I will go first while Russ tries to figure out what his is. <laughs> For me, it's Lester from Final Fantasy Adventure. The Bard. Of course, it's the Bard. Yeah. Other sidekicks in that game can heal or are strong attackers. He can change the background music. That's his special yes. skill. Amanda, well, hard. Amanda, his sister, who is a total badass, dies trying to save him from being a bird for the rest of his life. <laughs> you lose the most badass sidekick. Because she wants to save her worthless bard brother from being a bird. <laughs> he's a bard. He likes singing. Let him be a bird. Then he's whiny and useless. Yeah. So he costs you a good party member so that he can show up and Edward all over the place. <laughs> right. Russ, have you good figured choice. out who good your good. worst oh, character yeah. is? Oh, yeah. Worst character is actually easy for this list. Um, it is going to go to, and this is how much I hate him. You're going to have to remind me on the name. The frog from Breath of Fire 2. Oh, God. <laughs> like Pierre? Yeah, John Pierre. John Pierre. John something Pierre. like that. He is just the worst of all the characters in that game. He has no redeeming quality whatsoever. He's an annoying character. In no way are his like stats good for him to be good in battle. Um, I, I even forget he exists until you approach me on some kind of worst character situation. Jean-Pierre. Um, yeah, I really, 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 really did not like the frog. He is no... Let's just say this. He is no frog. <laughs> as in frog <laughs> yes, I got from you. Chrono Trigger. All right. So, the best character. And I'm going to be a little chatty on this one. Okay. Because it's yeah. a topic I feel passionate about. Galoof. From Final Fantasy V. A, Good uh, choice. He's very popular. And let me tell you, the main reason I like Galoof is because so many times it's these teenage heroes, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Galoof is a guy who saved the world probably when he was a teenager. Let's be fair. The first time he saved the world, he was Not probably... Not really. It was only 30 years ago, and he's okay. 62. 
So, so he was actually he was, in his 30s when he saved the world. Galoof's backstory is he was part of the original team of light warriors that saved the world. Then when it turned out their work was coming undone and the world was under threat again, he went, well, guess I got to go save the world again. again. Um, and one of the reasons I like this so much is it reminds me of one of my favorite fantasy characters from books. It's a series by David Eddings called, and I, you know I mispronounce things. Mm -hmm. I always call it the Elanium. I'm told it's supposed to be the Elanium. I, okay. The main character is named Sparhawk. He's uh -huh. a paladin. And he's in his 40s, probably. He might even be pushing 50. Uh, and if you consider his job is to go around fighting bad guys in full armor, that's pretty old. Yeah. To be hauling around all of that. Uh, you know, his bones ache in the weather. He's not hes not in his prime. His prime is behind him. Yeah. But when the situation happens in the story, early on, you know, we need a hero. Somebody's got to yeah. do this. Sparhawk very much has this sense of, all right, let me, hold on, let me roll this shoulder out. All right, well, if the world needs saving one more time, yeah, I think I got one more in me. Let's go do this. <laughs> what I hate about what I dislike about the trope of the Destiny's Child or the teenager saving I the world. I just got copyright infringement on that. The Child of Destiny. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that there, of course, comes with it an element of, I don't quite know what I'm doing. And I yeah. have to learn what I'm doing along the way. And that's why for Sparhawk and Galoof, it is such a fresh breath of air to have this sense of, oh no. This is my wheelhouse. I yeah. can do this. I've done this before. You know, I may be past my prime, but at least I know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. And then they go out and they do it. There's a there's a workmanlike quality sure, to it of sure. just do the job in front of you. Yeah. And it's rare in fantasy, either written or in JRPGs. And so when it happens, it's really cool because it's a different take. Yeah. No, I like that. That's a that's a good choice. So, yeah, Galoof, absolutely. Character. Great character. Uh, mine should also probably be obvious. Mine is uh, our dear Fina from Grandia. Excellent choice. Fina is just, you don't see heroines like this in most games. Fina is, Fina is everything that Justin, already everything that Justin wants to be. And she's only a year older than him. She's an adventurer. She hangs out with pirates. She's got a cool knife. She's got some fire magic. She's got some awesome green hair. She's seen the world. She is just, she is great. She is a good slap in the face to what the female protagonist in a video game usually is. She's kind of like the proto Aerith from Seven Remake. That she's got some some sass to her. She is a true self-rescuing princess. She really is. I love her so much. Fina is Fina is one of my top female protagonists of all time. Yeah, if I was to pick best female character on this yeah. list, that absolutely would be her. Yeah. So best game out of these nine, mm -hmm. I am going with Grandia. Previously, I described Lunar One as kind of the platonic ideal of JRPGs. Right? It's kind of... It was kind of the roadmap you could point to and be like, that's that's how you do a JRPG right there. You follow those steps. Lunar 2 kind of spoiled that for me a little. It kind of soured me <laughs> on that a little bit. 
and I have no problem with Grandia taking that new position. Gotcha. Grandia as the platonic ideal. Grandia does everything well. I don't think it would ever get into my top five of games because there's no one aspect of it that's just like, boom, no other game could ever do that. Yeah. But it does it does not drop the ball at any point. It is a great all-around. Yeah. It is my comfort food of JRPGs. I am excited and worried because Grandia <laughs> 2 is coming along at some point. Yeah. And I'm really hoping, no spoilers... That it doesn't ruin how I feel about Grandia. I don't think that's going to happen until Grandia 3. <laughs> well, there's something to look forward to. All right, Russ, how about you? The best game. Again, this one from this list should be really easy for me um, because we have recently recorded and I have talked about how Final Fantasy V is truly, really my favorite Final Fantasy game. So I am definitely going with Final Fantasy V. It began my love affair with the job system. So here's one where we may disagree. The worst game. And for me, it was Robotrek. Okay. Because it was tedious. It, I could see it trying to do so many things and not doing any of them well. Yeah. Considering the review we just came off of, Quest 64 seems like it should be a solid contender. Mm -hmm. But like I said in that review, I found Quest 64's badness to be impersonal, to be passive. Yeah. It wasn't trying to be great. It was just trying to exist. And guess what? It succeeded at existing. Yeah. Robotrek is not fun to play, but you can see it trying so many things and they all fail. Mm -hmm. It is possible with Quest 64 to say the design team accomplished what they were aiming for. That's a pure non-unflavored plain yogurt. Oh, yeah. It, 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 they, they cleared the lowest possible yeah. bar. But Robotrek commits the sin of setting itself a higher bar and not passing it. Okay. So, uh, plus, Robotrek was like 30 hours and Quest 64 was, was 11, 11 hours. Yeah. So that was my worst game. Okay. Well, my worst game... I think you know what it's going to be. My worst game of this batch yeah. is Live a Live. Yeah, saw that coming. <laughs> Did you see that coming? Oh, yeah. Yes. Live a Live is a very interesting experiment in the way to approach a game that, for me, absolutely did not work at all. It was an absent taking from your example of how Quest 64 is just plain yogurt. Live a Live is like yogurt that has been defecated in. Wow. It is it is actively trying to kill me. So you to, have strong feelings. Or to end this project. Yes. <laughs> it is. Live a live. Yeah. Live a live was a tough one. If we had not gotten to play Grandia afterwards, uh, live a live was, was difficult for me. I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that. I And I would, like you, take the plain yogurt over the yogurt that had human excrement in it. Yeah, you had three bad games in this batch. I only had two <laughs> bad games in this batch because I... Well, well, I'll talk about Live a Live in a second, but first, this is a new category. We haven't done this one before, oh. but you recommended yeah. it. Mm -hmm. You said we should yeah. do it. So, the best boss fight yeah. for me was Zagar from Final Fantasy Legend 3. It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, now... And the reason I felt I enjoyed it the most was I had spent a little bit of time leveling my characters. The, the, the end boss battle was not a struggle. 
I was yeah. kicking his ass. But you, there is something satisfying about dominating an in-boss utterly. Yeah. But what's extra kind of cool is your ship, that you that your spaceship, your space-time ship, joins in the battle. Yeah. It, like, breaks the roof off the tower, and then it's firing lasers. Yeah, it gets its one. own random turn to start firing. Yeah. Which is just very satisfying. Yeah. The, this feeling of, oh, we're, we're all together. Like, even the ship is in on it. You can use the ship in combat in certain parts of the game. And you can upgrade the weapons as part of that. I did not know it was going to show up at the end boss yeah. fight. So it was like, oh, cool. It's like there's a sixth party member now. <laughs> that is a good one. That's a good boss fight. Um, yeah, that ship is good. I'm going to have to say... And this is because more because of what happens after the final battle, but I'm gonna say Final Fantasy V. Final mm -hmm. battle was with X Death. Fighting the tree. The tree. Didrophiliacs, shout out. But the reason that I'm saying that is because I think it is very neat how depending on if any of your characters have fallen in battle, at the when you actually defeat X Death, you get a different ending. Yeah. You get different endings based on which I didn't even know the first time I the first time I beat it on the PlayStation version, uh, Lena and Ferris ha were both actually knocked out when I defeated X Death. So I got this ending and I didn't know what was happening because it's like I beat the final boss and then Bart's and Lemon or whatever her name is the girl. Cryly? Uh, yeah, they are like, they like jump out of the dimension that you're in and blah, blah, blah. And then Lena and Ferris just like float away. And then you go through the ending and it's like, they're dead. <laughs> I'm like, you failed. What them. did the heck just happened? And then it's always happy because you always go pray at that tree and they get revived and then you go riding on the chocobos and blah, blah, blah. But the actual way the ending plays out, because then when I like replayed it and everybody survived at the end, I'm like, you get this much happier ending. You get the true ending. And then I looked it up on YouTube and you get an incredibly sad ending if Krill is the only one that survived, <laughs> where she's like writing a letter to her dead grandpa saying, <laughs> I really miss everybody. I'm the queen of this castle now because everybody else is dead. And I'm real sad about that. <laughs> I've got my dragon and I've got my moogles, but there's like no humans left in my life, and this kind of sucks. Um, so yeah, I think that's very. I think that was a very interesting thing to implement in Final Fantasy V. <laughs> well, now I want to try for the Krylian. <laughs> so our last topic is the most surprising game. Mine is not a surprise, least of all because it's sitting here on the screen in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> which is Live a Live. I did not have the experience with Live a Live that Russ had. Now, I, Live a Live was not a great game. My my summation then it pretty much stands now. It was like it's like a game jam where each team worked on their own section of the game, but not all the sections are created equal. That was my biggest complaint is that some of the sections went on way too long and others were way too short. Not all of them were in proportion to what I wanted. But I thought the experiment was very interesting. Having different mechanics for each section, one of them almost has no combat. It goes on too long, but it's basically a murder mystery on a spaceship. Mm -hmm. The Home Alone style of the Western segment, the Street Fighter style of the Street 
Fighter segment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, it was a lot of different games in one, and then you turn out to be the end boss. Yeah. There was a lot going on there. I would like to see a remake where they polish it a little bit more, but it was definitely the most surprising because it was unique. And... Uh, Unlike Robotrek that tried to do a lot of things and failed, I think Live a Live accomplished many of the things it tried to do. Mm -hmm. My most surprising game is also Live a Live for everything that you just mentioned, except that I did not find it charming <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. So for I you, was merely frustrated. So for you, it time. was the worst game and the most interesting. It was the worst and the most interesting. Surprising. Yes, most surprising. I mean, those things are not mutually exclusive. Sure, and we always said surprising could be good or bad. Yeah. So it was surprising in the sense of, I can't believe how much I actively dislike this. Well, how about next time we play something you actively like? Thank God. And I tell you why it's not as good as you think it is. Okay. How does that sound? Sure. So next time we're going to be doing Trails in the Sky 2 for the PSP and Steam. It is for electronic boxes is <laughs> what it's for so uh thank you very much yeah. for supporting home on the rng for 40 episodes wow 40 episodes somehow that feels like too many and not near enough compared to the amount of work we've I done i still think that obama was president when we started this i, I might have to and that is why it does yes feel like too many and not enough uh so thank you all we will see you next time for trails in the yeah. sky too thank you Home on the RNG is a presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on youtube.com slash centaur productions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at RussMac25. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this podcast with you.